Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much, want to learn, or want to learn. Feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Welcome back to the new Venomores podcast, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or want to hunt or would like to know how, and it's about fishing too, as uh, always. As always. Uh, episode, what are we on, six now? I believe so, yeah. This is Tony Martinson. Adam Miller. We are coming ch- at you. Yeah, we have a change of venue this this time. We're at my new house. I closed a month and a half ago. Congratulations. So it's a very yeah, nice house in, a, in, your, in a nice neighborhood, and I'm, we're pretty proud of it. So. Yeah, we're <laughs> in your. I love the wood paneling in the basement. It's amazing. <laughs> it's very much a uh, a good environment. We're sitting at my bar. Yes. This was this was here. This was a big selling point for me. Right. That it had a bar. And no Ross this week. Thanks Ross for everything you've done so far. But you were out of town, and we decided to rock and roll. So yeah. thanks. Do what so. we can when we can. So. Yeah, I've been toying with the idea. I brought this up to you, actually. I've been toying with the idea of telling people that we're in South Dakota and not North Dakota. I think the cat's out of the bag on that one. Yeah, and kind of like an Idaho thing. Like, I hear Idaho's kind of, like, getting a little upset that their awesome spot is getting blown up. That people are getting ideas about Idaho. And they're kind of like, no, nothing to see here but potatoes. (laughs) I hear, you know, where you really want to be, Colorado, Western Montana's great. Nothing to see here in Idaho. And I kind of want, I've got the same vibe out of North Dakota. Like, yeah, no, just a bunch of farmers. I've been saying that for a long time for like Minnesota fishing. Yeah. It's like, you know why everyone says like Minnesota fishing is so great? It's like, because y'all won't shut up about it. Right. (laughs) So then like all these people come there. Right. And you're like, damn people from Wisconsin. Right. Exactly. Well, it's the same. It's the same about, like, North Dakota, South Dakota bird hunting. Mm-hmm. Like, South Dakota's like, yeah, pheasants, awesome, we got a ton of them. Right, and now and everyone's Dakota's there. like, nothing to see here. Well, South Dakota, their hunting's way better. All the pheasants are in South Dakota. So as far as any of our listeners are concerned, we hunt exclusively in South Dakota, Minnesota, <laughs> Def- Montana. Definitely not out my backyard or anything For like that. For sure not in North Dakota. Crazy thing about where I live now, I actually hear more coyotes howling at night now that I live in town yeah. than I actually hear heard when I was, like, out in the countryside. Well, you're pretty close to the Missouri right here, so I'm sure there's a lot of... It's much closer than that. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> oh, dude. dude. Like, there is... People don't know this, but there's, like, thriving coyote populations in every metropolis area. Every metropolis in the United States. Somebody's been reading Coyote the America, I think it's it, called, right? Highly recommend... Yeah. Reading that. That no, is that again, I forget the guy's Dan name. Flores. Dan it's Flores, awesome. Yeah. So. Good stuff. Um, but I was toying with the idea of saying South Dakota instead of North Dakota, but I think we have like a total of six whole listeners, so thanks, you guys. <laughs> and you, you know already what? know uh, at this point that's how many we have, and you already know where we're at anyway, so. Right. Let's go hunting sometime. <laughs> it, well, it would be, you know, not genuine of me. Right, right. If I'm, like, trying to recruit new hunters, then be like, but don't go to my spot. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Which, uh, for those of us who you have, have listened before, that's our whole point here is to take our experiences now, my experiences as a new hunter who's got some familiarity but starting to get back into it, learn more in depth right. on this thing as an adult, and get that out there with my very experienced friend and hunting mentor, which is kind of... Weird to say, but Adam Miller here. Fair enough. Um, or one of the hunting mentors that I have. So for those of you who hasn't, haven't listened, that's what we're, our point is here. So we've covered all sorts of stuff in the past. Um, and right now it's about midway through July when we're recording this. And we're starting to think about and have been thinking about planning our falls. And we've been talking a lot since we started this podcast about you know, we said before, like, there's your standard fall hunts that we, you go on, mm-hmm. Miller, and that I'm starting to do, too. Like, 
I have a fairly set date for deer hunting in Minnesota. Right. Um, you know, birds and stuff, the accessible things that are out our back doors in this area. Um, but we're talking about, you said you try to do one adventure hunt a year. Right. Can and we back up for a minute? Sure. It's like, I know you like thanked yeah. the band for letting us use their song, but oh, I think yeah. you really need to dive into that story of like oh, how sure. that, and what those folks are all about. Cause like, we're still like beyond appreciative of what oh, they let us do here. Completely. So, uh, again, thanks to Craig Minowa and Cloud Cult for letting us use their song Running With The Wolves as an intro and outro to our program because uh, I've loved that band for a long time. Mm-hmm. You may, well, all of our listeners right now do know about me that I have a bit of a, more than a little bit of a streak in me that people might call hippie. Um, and so I've loved that band for a long time for a lot of different reasons and that song particularly I really liked and I thought when I was thinking about this podcast that it kind of captured the essence right um, of sort of what I feel like about hunting and fishing and why I like it and why it's good and all that stuff um, and so I thought it'd be great but those guys are like a big recording band with a big following and all that stuff they've been around for forever but I was like whatever you don't know if you don't try and that's kind of what we're doing with this podcast anyway is who knows let's figure it out let's just see right and so I went to their website and I just wrote them an email about how much I respect them and their ethos what we're trying to do here um how much I love them why I think that song would be great and just like threw it out on their contact us on their website and Craig uh Minowa Minowa emailed me back like a few weeks later, I kind of forgot about it. We had a different song that was Ross wrote. Thank you, Ross. And we had a different song for that, and we were using that. And then he got back to me and was like, "Hey, that sounds like something we could get behind. Think, go ahead, use it." And I was like, blown away, like blown away. Mm-hmm. I was actually very excited <laughs> because, you know, they're a touring recording band with a huge following, and I'm kind of a fanboy about it. So I was super excited. So thanks again, Craig. Thanks everyone in Cloud Cult. I couldn't believe that that dude like personally monitors and responds to the emails on their contact us website. So normally I'd be afraid about blowing up their spot, but you guys are awesome. So thank you. And on you know, I had really not had not heard of them much until like Tony introduced me and uh, they're definitely worth a Google mm-hmm. to like explain just how they run their live shows to what they, you know, like you said, their ethos and their, you know, their ethics of uh, the world around them. So, um, you know, uh, Google them up and, you know, you make your own decision after that. But, I mean, it, it, it speaks to me as a guy that just uh, enjoys the outdoors, man. So. Right. And that's one of the things that I thought was great about using that band and that song for what we're trying to do here. Their ethos kind of lines up with what we're trying to get across, mm-hmm. uh, at least what I think about it. Because another thing I thought for a long time, and you were talking about uh, Yvonne, from Yvonne Chouinard, I don't know if I'm pronouncing Yvonne right. Chouinard, I think is how you say it, from Patagonia, and you've been reading his book, um, mm-hmm. and I know that there's some, in our current climate, with the debate over public lands and the refocus is getting, there's some uh, tension there between him and some more traditional outdoorsmen in the hunting and fishing realm, and I've never thought that there should or needs to be any kind of mm-hmm. separation between those things. It's all different I mean like I like climbing and stuff like that and I don't know that those need to be different ethoses or types of people Mm -hmm. I think it can all be one thing but I think to a certain extent we've been sold a bill of goods that you know granola crunching hippies love to walk on trails and sign shooting drunk hillbillies like to go kill stuff and I don't think that those need to be different types of people and I don't think either of those stereotypes are necessarily true so and frankly they both need the habitat right you know right so i mean i am allied with pretty much anyone that says you know the the habitat comes first right you know we'll kind of worry about public lands for the public public lands for the public and we'll worry about whether or not you think i should have a gun with 10 rounds afterwards right you know and i'm sure there's plenty of compromise to be had on all fronts for that for everyone involved uh, yeah, I guess. I'm not going to get deep into the weeds on that. Right, we don't so. need to, but that's just, 
Yeah. So, so let's circle back around. We got we got a little off a topic there, but again, thank you to all those people. And uh, so we were discussing hunt planning. Yeah. So yeah, it's this time of year. Um, I'm thinking about my fall. We are thinking about our falls, but we're also thinking about adventure hunts, and mm-hmm. that's something that is a big barrier. Mm-hmm. I heard old Uncle Ted talking on a different podcast mm-hmm. about. Uh, about one of the questions was how do you get started mm-hmm. and his point was I think people the same spirit that goes hey hunting fishing this seems cool I want to do this I want to figure it out the same spirit that prompts a person to do that to have that thought process is the same spirit you're going to need to figure it out for yourself because mm-hmm. that's one of the myriad benefits that we have harped on and on about and will continue to do so in hunting and fishing is the like DIY mentality, you've got to figure out some of this for yourself. Right. I mean, I can, yeah, I can yammer at you for hours, but yeah. you're going to learn so much more by being out there. But I, right. we're at least be able to point you in the right direction. Exactly. So. so we've been talking about a couple of adventure hunts that we want to do. And we mentioned one before, this black bear hunt up in the Boundary Waters. Mm-hmm. And you've done a good amount of planning around that so mm-hmm. far. So uh, that's something that we cover today is... Where do you get started? Okay, so I want to hunt. I'm, you know, I do deer, I do pheasants or ducks or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, I get outdoors, but I want to go do one of these cool big hunts. Right. And it can be a lot to tackle. Right. So. Well, first, I mean, any one of my, like, adventure hunts that I call, you know, that um, often they're years in the making, and they off, they usually start with, I have a desire to... Sometimes it's a species that I just have an interest in. Like, I'm fascinated by black bears. I could watch them all day. Like, I'm sitting in a tree stand in Canada, and, like, one week we saw, like, 50 bears. And I could have watched them all day. Like, it was just that cool watching these critters. Um, What do you find fascinating about them? They're just so interesting. I mean, they do funny things. They have, you know, and it's a weird thing with... You know, I, I'm not going to humanize them. You know, a bear is a bear. But, you know, they do things that will amuse me. You know, watching one climb into a barrel or what have you. You know, because he's small enough to fit. Right. <laughs> you know, and they just, they're they're inquisitive. They're, you know, they just, they have qualities that just, you could, I could watch them for hours. That so. kind of, it kind of reminds me of a super duper dangerous apex dog. <laughs> In a lot of ways, like. Right. And I don't want to make it, like, you know, uh, anthropomorphized in that way, like, pedified in that way. But right. they do a lot of, like, silly things that you would catch your dog doing when your dog's mm-hmm. not Right. Around. And it's, I mean, I'm by no means a bear expert, but you, man, you talk to some of these guys that hunt them a lot, view them a lot, especially Alaska guides, you know. And they have the same thing. And, you know, and they'll, you know, they're taking with their clients a dozen bears a year. But they have the utmost respect for them. They have the same thing. Like, I love just watching them, you know. And they're yeah. so, you know, I could, and, and it's, uh... But they also know that, like you said, they're not these super tame pets. Like, you know, no. they're not cuddly. And then yeah. they're, like, they're watching for that moment when that bear flips a switch and yeah. goes from, yeah, I'm just kind of foraging around here. I'm going to eat some of his roots and stuff. And all of a sudden, like, there's a meal that I need to, you know, collect and kill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in that way, you know, that... in not a whole lot different than me i love watching it all too until it's time to eat oh yeah you know for sure so and bears are real life monsters (laughs) they just are right i mean and there are a lot of things that predator hunting seems to be somewhat more of a hot button topic for people that don't hunt Mm -hmm. in general and i don't know why specifically with predators like i think it's a lot of people that don't realize that i'm also going to eat it yeah. You know, there's so many people that don't understand that just because it is a trophy or a predator or whatever, it doesn't mean that I'm not taking every scrap of that out. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to consume the whole works, you know. So it, uh, people think that for whatever reason, somehow it got disconnected that so many people think that just that hunting did not equate to food. Well, and with predators, <laughs> I would say probably even more so you're going to take. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know that the standard of ethics involved is is Mm -hmm. the same level with everything you take but you almost take more pride in predators I would think I've never shot one Mm -hmm. but because it's 
a harder animal to hunt because they themselves are hunters. Right. Um, just generally, it's a more involved and intense thing. Oh uh, yeah, it definitely can be. You okay. know, they're they're essentially their sense of smell is going to yeah. be you know higher just because it has to be. You know, and matching wits predator to predator. Right. Right. No, oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. That's there's definitely an aspect to that. So. So, for instance, like this Boundary Waters trip with the bears, it started with, you know, this is twofold, a fascination with the my quarry, the bear itself, and the yeah. fascination with the area. Yeah. You know, so some, some of my hunts I, I picked exclusively for that. Like, I've got, you know, I'm going to go to Alaska here shortly. I'm hoping Tony comes with. <laughs> yes. And it's just like, I've been that way for, I've wanted to go above the Arctic Circle since as long as I can remember. I'm like, so what's a way that I can do this that, you know, obviously I can just go up there. Yeah. You know, but you experience that place way more as a hunter. Yeah. Than... You know, was, you're going to look at it differently, you know? So it's like, I go up there and I see, you know, the, you know, the tundra, I'll see the mountains or whatever, and you don't, like, people see that and like, oh, it's the plains, it's, oh, it's a mountain. Yeah. And I'm looking at the mountain like, okay, so, like, that's probably where the bedding area is, you know, right. and I'm picking it apart more. And you that's know? the point I made, we had some audio issues in our second episode, right. but I left it in there because I was making that point. Right. You're so much more connected to right. the place. So going to a place to go hunting... Mm-hmm is really really you have to learn right. that place intimately to be able to right. be successful and to understand what's going on so you really are connected to the wild places that you go right and so i've been fascinated with the boundary waters since we went before right so when you said this i was i'm so not just there. collecting a picture right so yeah you know so or filling a freezer you're really getting to know mm-hmm. parts of america really right so, so what draw, like for this specific hunt, you know, like I've been on bear hunts before and they've always been guided, uh, just because either laws or rules or I had no experience and, yeah. I, and I have, uh, an utmost respect for guides because oftentimes like they're getting a client that knows nothing and, right. and they basically have to put up I guess is maybe the word with it you know some, they have good clients and they have bad clients and I strive if you're going to hire a guide be a good client be one that yeah. listens to him takes his tips you're not paying that guide to babe, go to go hunting for you but you you are paying him for his knowledge you know so right. that is why you hire a guide you know and some Roll people bad when it's time do your part right. of camp <laughs> right so, I mean, they're going to take care of you and spoil you a bit, you know, but it's important to don't go out there and then argue with your guide. You know, be upfront with him about your capabilities and about yeah. what you can handle, be their terrain for length of shot, uh, how, you know, how, what your shooting capabilities are. Because, like, you're, you know, you... Nine, I'm going to say 99% of people, if you're going like a mountain hunt, you're not going to be able to keep up with your guide if he really wants to push. Because they live out there all season. Yeah. <laughs> and you're out there for your week and a half, two week vacation break yeah. from your desk right. job or whatever. You know, but they're going to take it at your pace. So let them know that, you know, this is what I can do, what have you. And don't oversell your capabilities of to shoot. You know, Even if you think you're pretty good, you're right. probably not as good as you think. Right. If I had a nickel for everyone that said, yeah, I'm comfortable shooting out to 500 yards online, I, I'd be a rich man right now. And, yeah. and just because you have a, the magic new caliber, you know, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, if you have to ask what caliber you can buy and say I'm capable of shooting out to this, then no, you're not. Yeah. Because if you were, you wouldn't need to ask me what caliber you need to buy. <laughs> right. And as we've said always, the best thing you can do for yourself is put in the time and right. take the practice and right. get on the range or get out in the field. Right. Um, so, and, um, yeah, guides also have to, mm-hmm. I mean, the reputation is staked on whether or not you actually take an animal yeah enjoy your time and enjoy your hunt yeah Yeah. and that's a hard thing to guarantee right (laughs) it's it's customer service to the max so it's kudos to everyone out there making a living that way 
So, like I said, I've been on a couple hunts like that, guided, and now that I, you know, I got some experiences under my belt, I understand a little better. Now it's more, I want to get into DIY, do it yourself. I want to, you know, so where can I do that? Yeah. You know, so, like I said, we're from North Dakota, and thankfully I have two bordering states that have bears, both Minnesota and Montana. I could have went to either. Um, yeah. And the, Minis- in the boundary waters just appealed to me because I'm familiar with the area. Yeah. You know, I know what I'm going to run into or what I'm out there. And I know, it, I I know I'm gonna enjoy the experience regardless of um, the success of filling a tag. So you wanted to hunt a bear again, right? And you were looking at where, right? And we've been talking about going to the Boundary Waters again, right? Um, and you know, it's a place where you can survive for at least five days with quote no food end quote, <laughs> right? So. It's attractive in many ways, so that's how you landed on that. Right. Okay. So, so now I've got an area staked out. So, you know, we looked into, um, you know, success rates of drawing a tag. And yeah. it turns out that area is really easy to draw a tag because it's a difficult hunt. People don't want to put the work in Well, because there's go. the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Right. You're, there's, it's, I actually recently found a picture of all of the waterways in Minnesota, uh, lakes and rivers. Mm-hmm. And I'll show you right now, but I'll post it on the website too. But like it's pockmarked like you wouldn't believe. This is every lake and river in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> and especially if you look up in the Arrowhead region up here where the boundary waters are, right. it's everything. Um, so it's, I mean, you gotta, the only thing other than your two feet are canoes. Mm-hmm. that you can have or non-motorized watercraft so you're carrying that and you in order to get to where you want to go in that area mm-hmm. i mean you could hike it but you're way better off paddling mm-hmm. a significant portion of all that so to go up there and hunt a bear i could see if you're not already uh experienced or willing to take on a somewhat more intense outdoor type mm-hmm. adventure to do that I bet, I bet not a lot of people put in for that based on the population that's probably right. out there. And Well, it's that, and it also has a significantly lower success rate, which brings me to my next point. Okay. Considering this is the, the Boundary Waters is owned by the U.S. Forest Service, um, or managed by them, and it's a designated wilderness area. Yeah. So where in most of Minnesota, you can bait black bears legally, mm-hmm. and the Boundary Waters, you cannot. Okay. Because it's there's a just extra protections for keeping the naturalness of the area. So no baiting. So you don't get a bunch of guys pulling permits just to go in and lay bear bait out right. and like get themselves a patterned out spot where they can right. do that stuff and take it permits other away from people that want to just paddle and recreate in there in other ways. Uh, yeah, you know, so, and I want to be clear here that just because you are baiting bears, yeah. it is not an automatic success story. Right. It really is not. And it, in some areas, it quite frankly, if you could not bait a bear, there would be virtually no bears taken. Yeah. So some areas, I mean, you couldn't see, when you can't see from here past my wall, you know, it's yeah, like, that is, is 15 feet away. Right. You know, that they're just, there wouldn't be bears taken. Yeah. So, it it it's, can be very, very difficult in sense, and that is one way it limits you know harvest success. And that, boundary waters is controlled access. You have to have right. a permit. So if you were going in there, mm-hmm. it, it would be it would raise the amount of people going in there if the mm-hmm. success rate was right. So. Right. So it, you know if I'm so the, I'm trying to convey here is that this is a difficult hunt, you know, and but that speaks to me. You know, yeah. because, you know, that's something I wanted, you know, the, the challenge of it is, you know, like I've said it before, I thoroughly enjoy hunting. It's not mm-hmm. just a, you know, a harvest of meat for me. So this is something that I'm going to enjoy. So this is kind of how I targeted this spot to want to go. That actually spoke to me too. Right. Because I said it in the past episode and I'll say it again. I can't help but think I'm kind of a little bit soft mm-hmm. sitting in the woods in the lake country of Minnesota in a tree stand. Like, trying to be as still as I can and trying mm-hmm. not to breathe real loud, waiting for a deer to wander by. Which is a different kind of thing and mm-hmm. presents its own challenges, but uh, being mm-hmm. of the adventurous bend and having the experiences that we've had together, I want to mm-hmm. get out there and, like, really do it more. Right. You know? So, you start, 
playing around with this and you, you know, Googling it and you find your information, do your own research, as Tony would say. And it turns out that the Minnesota DNR puts out a handy PDF file of how to hunt the boundary waters. Super easy. And what they tell well, you, not super easy, well, but super that information, and they tell you flat out, you know, this is a very difficult hunt, and you know, these are the things you need to take in consideration. How are you going to get that bear out without it spoiling? Yeah. You know, they highlight you cannot bait here. What's you know, so you so, need to think of a better, you know, think of an idea of how you're going to hunt a bear here. So where you cannot bait, you are allowed to put out scent attractants. Mm-hmm. So like for specifically like this area, they suggest uh, uh, burning honey over like a candle. Right. So uh, in, 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 in that all plays back into the resources that you have in your state game agency. Would they put that paper out if they did not want you to be successful? So... Of course not. Of course not. So it, these people are super critical of their state cave agencies of now not wanting to, oh, uh, they feel that it, it's some sort of a, they're obstructionist, uh, like success, yeah. or, you know, the any sort of tinfoil hat theory of the state game agency saying, like, I mean, folks, look at the information they're putting out right. for you and really think critically on whether or not that agency is there to help you or not. And if you're thinking critically, there's only one possible answer. Well, and I've noticed that too, and I've talked about it, like the kind of old boy mentality mm-hmm. that's out there sometimes, and I've noticed more than a few folks that kind of have an uh, adversarial attitude mm-hmm. against their state wildlife management agency, like, oh, I don't know about mm-hmm. this and that thing, and they're not out here doing it, and, you know, you can catch a million walleye in that lake. There's walleye all over in that lake. I don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that... I mean, they're there to help you. Right. And they're there to help the most people the most that they can. Mm-hmm. And they're the scientists, so, I mean... Personally, I defer to them, and I think that we're in it together instead of being sort of adversaries. You know, right. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to get one over on the game and fish. Right. I'm just trying to take their information. Because like you say, every time I've ever called, they've jumped at the chance. To- right. Oh, exactly. You know, so I started looking into that and like, okay, so I can't bait, you know, so with the exception of sense and, you know, what have you. Yeah. So what can, what can I do? Let, you know, so what are my tactics going to be? I can spot and stock, you know, yeah. which in the boundary waters, there's some really thick country in there that's tough to do. Um, I'm get, but pay attention to that point because I'm going to come back to it. So I can call. You know, he's a yep. predator call, which is super, super intense, by the way. Um, Sounds no, like a dying rabbit or something, right? Well, it is, but imagine what you're doing here. You are calling in an apex predator to something that they think is an easy meal. And when they come up to that call, they're expecting that meal to be there. And when they only find you, they need to make a decision. <laughs> that monster's coming in hot. <laughs> yeah. So you will also need to make a decision. So... That be you know I, that is something that it's very successful in areas, but you know understand of how intense that situation is going to be. Is that so, um, just a quick question on that? <laughs> is that does a predator call work better in or or maybe not work better, but is a predator call something you might do uh, in a place where you have a little bit more open area to see that predator approaching a little bit? So oh, absolutely. Can, so you can run your call, have it come out into the open, excited, pause, and then, you know, you can have a little bit more space between you and your target to put it down before it comes bounding out of the forest five feet from your call, ready to have a meal. And, and that is the optimum way to do it. Yeah. You, and you try to select your spots where that's going to happen. But yeah. you have to understand, this this predator out there, it thrives on being undetected until the very last moment. Sure. So its instincts is telling it to not go out in the open. It's not going to come running across right. a it's, stubble field to get yeah. to your predator call. Its instinct is telling you to is telling it to not let you use the wind. It's going to want to circle around yeah. to come in downwind of you so you know okay. it's there. Okay. So he knows you're there. So you got to be able to pick your points to yeah. where to try and maximize that effort. Oftentimes he's not going to just come straight down the running straight down an open area to you, but okay. he might cross it. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, like, to get to that downwind spot, and that, that might be your opportunity. Sure. So. 
For that question, I was thinking more about like a coyote scenario or something right. like that. Yeah. Well, a coyote is oftentimes more open country mm-hmm. critter to begin with, right. you know. But you know, these bears live in super thick stuff, right. you know, generally speaking. So, and Minnesota black bear are right. traditionally fairly shy. I think. Right. Um, they can get pretty big, but um, they're not going to be the world's biggest black bear. And generally black, not. Black bear in general are right. traditionally sort of shy anyway. Right. Right. They're more reclusive. I don't know shy, but they're more reclusive. Right. right. That that'd be a pretty good way of putting it. Yeah. So so we got some options there. Spot and stock, and then of course you know as the game of fish suggested the honey thing. So we're gonna bring all those tools with you know, and we're gonna find out what works when we get there. Right. So, but you know, like I said, so how do you find a spot that's open to right. do like I say a spot and stock? So this is the part where knowing history, some ecology, biology comes with. So a favorite food of bears up there, and a favorite food turns out to be of humans up there, is berries. That's wild berries. And, and there's so blueberries, raspberries, all kinds of different berries there. Okay, so where do these berries tend to pop up? Open areas. Right. Okay, so where do open areas come out? Well, where's recent burns? Right. You know, where's burns happened from five to ten years ago, what have you. So all of a sudden now I'm looking at Google Earth. I'm narrowing down a spot, spots. I'm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. reading up on some history, you know, and I'm all of a sudden it's like, boom, the answer is there. Like, this is my idea where I need to go, right. you know, because I found an area where it's going to cross off all those spots, you know, where a huntable area that mm-hmm. is. What do you mean Huntable. Huntable as in it's something I can get to. You can access. I can access to okay. it. Now, like I said, you can access any part of the boundary waters depending on with how hard permit. with a permit, you know, once you draw your permit, depending on how hard you want to work. Yeah. So if you think of the boundary waters as a big like concentric circles, you know, the outermost circle that's easy to get to, you know, there's access points, mm-hmm. there's uh, clearly defined portaging trails to get in. And the further you get in the harder it gets, you know, not just because of the distance, but they stop making trails. Right. They stop providing campsites. They right. stop, you know, what have you. You can access any part of that you want, but you need to accept what level of difficulty. And when we were there almost mm-hmm. 10 years ago, if not 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. I mean, we, I don't feel like we really tried that no. really hard. We didn't put in, like maximum effort to getting as deep in as we can mm-hmm. and we found campsites that clearly hadn't been used in years once you get past probably the second lake in yeah like you're done seeing people because a lot of folks <laughs> want to bring i mean i know people that used to bring budweiser party balls and a cooler and all sorts of stuff and right. set up a base camp and go exploring from there mm-hmm. but to do this hunt we're gonna have to go lightweight carry on our backs what we can carry in with our canoes because we're gonna knocking on wood mm-hmm. we're gonna be carrying out many many extra pounds on right. the way back so going light come out heavy and so we're going deep right so so now i've got to narrow down to where a spot where i think that i am gonna have success so here's my final step we're circling back around to how much the dnr wants to help you yeah. I emailed specifically the bear biologist. Uh, you know, I looked him up on their website. All this information is available to you. And I said, hey, you know. State employees. You can find yeah, out how much. Yeah. Easy Anything to you want to know about the guy. Right. So I look him up. You know, I look up this contact information. And I say, you know, I'm like, I'm planning on doing this hunt X year. You know, this is kind of the research I've done. You know, this is my plan. And, you know, can you tell me more about what, you know, how's the bear population in that area? And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, yep, here's, you know, this is what you're seeing, you know, this is what you're going to see for foraging, you know, this is what we're seeing for population, you know, it's trending, you know, staying steady, trending slightly up, you know, and he says, you know, your hunt, your your plan here is a good idea. Now, I pretty much knew it was a good idea to begin with, just because I know a little bit about bear biology. And you have a little bit of experience. Has a little bit of experience. your own hunts. Right, so, you know, you find the habitat, and that's, you know, the habitat and food, you know, for that animal, generally speaking, it's going to be there. So the contact in the Game of Fish at that point, or D- Minnesota DNR, it was just a confirmation of what I already knew, you know, but now mm. it's like, boom, rock solid, my plan's made. So 
that's kind of like, and, and I will do this for anything I want to hunt, you know? Yeah. So going elk hunting in Montana, I'll be going there this fall. I don't, I didn't draw a tag this year, but um, I didn't put in this year because I knew, you know, moving and all this other stuff, you know, the funds right. are touch limited right now. Right. But I'm going to go with and help my father-in-law and my father be a caller and a packer. Yeah. Which is a reality of being right. a person in the world that does this. Right. Filling, last year, last time we went, we had three elk tags. We didn't fill any of them. Um, but we saw elk. I had an opportunity. I explained that story more about that spike. And then that would have been, I'd still be eating on that spike if, if I had killed him, you know. And, uh, but now we know a little bit more of the area. And we're, we're you know, every time we go, we learn a little bit more about the spot we're going to go. Yeah. And I, I highly suggest going back to the same spots over and over and over again. Because right. you, the more you learn that spot, the more successful you're going to be. Because well, you're going to know how the animals... You're going to pattern the behavior. You're going to pattern the behavior a little bit more. You're going to pattern the weather. Right. You're going to learn the area a lot right. more intimately. You're going to be able to pattern out year over year how the ecology of the area changes. Right. And uh, notice what was beneficial right. and what you're looking for from year over year so you can look right. at that. Yeah. You know, and that's not to say if, you, if you're if you not having success, you're not finding animals in that area. You know, don't be afraid to move. I know it's it's a tough change. Is, change is the most difficult thing, but, right. you know, you know, don't. You know, but if you know that you go to an area and we saw elk there, yeah. you know, we know that they're there. We have an idea of bedding areas now. And, you know, we went into it basically blind, right. to, you know, last year. But now we know where they're feeding at, where they're bedding at, where they're wallowing at. Yeah. And that's all stuff now that instead of spending the first five days figuring them out. You know that now. Now I go there and I, you know, those first five days I'm already hunting. Yeah, well, in time so, of day that they're bedded down mm-hmm. or temperature conditions where they're more likely to wallow at certain times during mm-hmm. the day when the sun's hot or whatever right? right so and that's some of that's general but also in that area it's going to be specific to the conditions around there and the ecology like we were saying right right you and, know and and, I, <laughs> and you know and like again with bears like if i had a bear tag in my pocket last year and i went i had to kill the bear yeah that a bear that i had a very very close scrape with <laughs> like you wrote about him. that i wrote about in a, a book i just released but plug it what's it called all right it, it's called there's never enough october it's an ebook available on amazon uh, Kindle, you know, download it, please, if you'd like, but leave a review. <laughs> so anyway, so I wrote, you know, about that story there, or at least based on the story. Up until a certain point, every word of it is true. So, <laughs> you know, after that, after that, journalism, semi-autobiographical. Well, I make no bones about when I write. You know, yeah. that some of them are true as far as I remember. Some of them are, but they're all inspired by real life experiences gotcha. you know so it, and so I, I listed it as a fiction book because it is but mm-hmm. you know all of them are based on things that I've just done outside right. so there's a lot of stories about bears in there just because I <laughs> I have a lot of close counters with bears because spent a lot of time in know, bear country I spent a lot of time in bear country and given an opportunity between hunting in bear country or not hunting in bear country I will take the opportunity to hunt in bear country every time just well, because I enjoy seeing bears that all yeah <laughs> Your average person doesn't have to worry about getting scratched up by a bear. Right. But the more time you spend, the higher your probability skyrockets quickly. And uh, that's you, so. Yeah. <laughs> so you've seen a few of them. Right. Um, so. And to go back to, like, okay, so you go back to the same place over and over, even if you have to move, the things you learned in that place, you're not moving from whatever, southeast Montana to the other side of Idaho. Right. You're moving to a place that's going to be relatively close. So the things you learn, even not being, quote, uh, not mm-hmm. killing an animal in that area, you can apply to your new place. Oh, absolutely. You're just going to have to figure out the lay of the land a little bit. A little bit, yeah. So that's another thing is just like always be learning. Right. You know, you know and it's, uh, you know, now that I kind of got a, you know, a bead on this spot, you know, I'm that's going to be my hunting spot from here until I can no longer climb the mountains. Yeah. Because you, know? you know now. Because I know now. And going back to the same place, you build relationships with your local people. You build relationships mm-hmm. with whatever outfitter or guide you're using, even if you eventually decide to do it yourself. Right. You can, you know, uh, my dad used to live in a small town in Montana where it's, I mean, uh, one of the larger parts of their economy is hunting outfitters and guides mm-hmm. and stuff. And there are people that are seasonal folks that show up in that town that know the 
three guys sitting around the table at the gas station in town sipping coffee in the morning that they see every you know November. Mm-hmm. And like and I said, you know, both those places, you know, the you know, between northern Minnesota where it went and in Montana, I mean, some of the friendliest folks you're ever going to find. Yeah. And, and I'll stand by that until the day I die. The people in flyover country are friendlier than the people on the coasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, salt of the earth folks, you know. You know, so and feel free, feel free to fight me on that, but <laughs> I, I mean, I've traveled, and I'm, I'm telling you. I love that. That's awesome. Flyover countries are better. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say they're better. I just said they're friendlier, you know. And yeah. I just, it's I don't know. Is it? I don't. I don't know what exactly it is, you know. And then you're cert, You know, you're still gonna find plenty of friendly folks in New York City, Boston, you know, yeah. or on the West Coast. I mean, they're 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 everywhere, right? You know, and a lot of it is how you treat them to begin with. But you know, I'm just it seems to me that people here they're just they're way more open. Yeah. You know, they're they're willing to approach you and you know and to ask you how your day is going, you know, sure. you know, or be helpful, or be helpful. Instead of so, telling you to shove off, right? Right. So, or driving right past you and you're in trouble. Right. Um, okay. So, as far as planning this hunt, I mean, that's kind of like you split right there, huh? Like, so yeah, that's the hunt that's planned. You know, so you know, there obviously is another aspect to this about camping out. Right. And all this stuff. And, and uh, I'm not going to dive deep into that right now, but you understand. We can talk about that yeah. as we get closer to this, but right. we're kind of... You know, I'm not going to go over my pack list right now. Right. You know, so I've, I've already done some experimenting with, you know, I think we're going to hammock this rather than right. tent it. We actually, you know? before we started recording, we're talking about how we both pretty much experimented doing the same thing. <laughs> Mutually exclusive. Yeah. We didn't yeah. even... <laughs> At our family's lake cabin, you were showing me a picture of yours, and I was like, oh yeah, I was going to do that, and I was experimenting with all that too. Yeah, so I, I think it's going to be more comfortable than... Uh, one thing that about the Boundary Waters, it is not a comfortable place to sleep. It's all, it's all rock. I mean... Uh, you know that if you don't have a thermo rest, you are not going to sleep, or, or maybe not some bag. sort of yeah. pad. You are not going to sleep. Do not think that you're going out there and just sleeping directly on the ground without some sort of pad. Yeah, so, a tarp pitch, tarp right? Tent on the ground would not be your friend, right? And there's enough trees that we could do hammocks, so that would be kind yeah. of fun, I think. And right. we cut down a lot on weight. Yeah. We cut, oh yeah, we're gonna cut like my usual backpacking tent and I and I pack a big tent when I backpack it's a four person mm-hmm. uh, and I Kelty that you probably don't need a four person but sometimes being able to get that stuff inside to dry things out or to keep it out of the, the keep wet it dry in the first keep place. it dry in the first place it can be invaluable so mm-hmm. um, that is one thing that it, 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 there's this huge push right now about you know there are there has been for years it's just a never anything of how do we go lighter and ultra keep light, ultra you know, light, ultra yeah, light, ultra light. and some eventually you get to a point where it's like i'm sacrificing too much comfort right you know? well and i've heard uh i've heard other folks on other shows say like when did folks get afraid to carry a little bit on their back right and i'm not i mean i like to go minimalist just because of mm-hmm. i just don't think you need a lot of stuff or a lot of the stuff that some folks think you need but on the, there is another side of that coin. Like, don't be afraid to carry something if it's going to be useful. You know, and, you it, know? and it's funny. It, it's like one of the biggest conservationists that North America has, or the United States has ever had, Frank Muir. John Muir. John, excuse me, John Muir, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm having a brain fart there. We're, we switched to bourbon this week, folks. <laughs> anyway, what was in his pack was a tin cup that's very similar to, similar to what Tony is drinking his bourbon out of right now. <laughs> his long coat... And a stale and a loaf of stale bread. That was his pack. That dude was an absolute madman. And that and he covered more miles, more country, steeper mountains, and well into his age than fanatically than any of us ever will. With enthusiasm, <laughs> You're right? Like you know. So, uh, and I and I realized that that's probably not realistic for today's world. But, you know, consider when you throw something in your pack, do you really need it? So, yeah. (laughs) Dude's an eccentric, but uh, if you're interested in outdoors in general, read Travels in Alaska, The Yosemite, and My First Summer in the Sierra, all by John Muir. All right. I think I have one. It's probably right behind you somewhere here. 
It might be up in my upstairs bookcase. I Especially know. Travis in Alaska. That right. one, yeah. I, I bought like a collection that had like all of them in. Yeah. So, so that's either here or there. So understand that yes, it can be done right. without, and like we explained in a previous podcast that, you know, hunting can be as cheap or as expensive as you want to make it. Right. I was going to make that same point too. Right. Like with all the gear, like, yeah, it can be as cheap or expensive as you want to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you pack into places can be as much or as little as you think you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point on spending the money on the gear is it's about comfort. Right. And there's a, you will have to find your own personal balance between comfort on having the creature comforts that you bring with you mm-hmm. and carrying them. There's a balance there for each person. Right. And you got to find that yourself by, again, like I said, putting the time in. All right. And this time, I'm bringing coffee. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that instant that wasn't doing it for you last time like I said. Oh, I've, I've become I've learned to appreciate tea more but yeah, yeah. Here. but man without the coffee Jesus yeah I need, <laughs> I, I need results for sure um, so I was jotting down some notes here just about like because we're talking about hunt planning yep more than uh, we advise start in your state figure mm-hmm. out what's here and this hunt is in the state that I am now a resident so but it's still an adventure hunt for it's you. It's an adventure hunt for me for sure. That's an right. adventure place. So, uh, and I mean, like, I could do waterfowl or deer in some places that are a little bit more familiar and, dare I say, uh, could end up becoming routine. And this right. is not, this is a once in, I mean, I would do this hunt more often, but this is a first time mm-hmm. sort of one time thing at least right now right and this isn't going to be an every year hunt for us no and that's only because like at the same time that i want to be bear hunting in september i also want to be elk hunting in montana or caribou hunting in alaska or 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 yeah yeah. so like i said i i mean a lot of these hunts are years in the making and they just yeah you know some i'm i'm never going to give up elk hunting because it's the most intense thing i've done with having screaming bulls in your face at short ranges yeah, so like it's kind of what my kind of plan is right now is, is like elk hunting is it's, it's gonna be every other year just because i want to experience these other things that need to happen at the same time right you know so but i mean that's gonna be my go-to to always come back okay so, so you know bear hunt elk hunting this year bear hunting next year elk hunting the year again after that probably caribou hunting after that yeah. so and that's just the way it's gonna be so, so I, I was trying to get an overview of general methodology on these sort of things so mm-hmm. uh for the one time hunts like this what i have down is you either pick your place you want to go mm-hmm. or your animal yeah because we've talked about this before right okay you got me. I want to do this. What do I do now? Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sort of concurrent things that have to happen yep. to uh, get started at the beginning. But once you have your hunter safety and you know uh, a few things, maybe a couple of like uh, state-sponsored uh, get learn to hunt programs under your belt, and you want to do this, mm-hmm. even approaching an adventure hunt like this is kind of like to me, you were like, okay, let's, you can get a black bear tag in the boundary water. So I was like, awesome. Like I personally was a little bit overwhelmed and where to go from there. Mm-hmm. So you pick your animal or your place. And you've kind of got that out of the way by introducing this because like we said, we've been talking about going back to the boundary waters. We've been talking about hunting more together and, you know, I've never hunted a bear or any predator actually. Right. And uh, so that was a good fit for us. So you pick your place or your animal. Or both. Mm-hmm. Start with one, find a place to do it, or if it fits like this, go with that. Right. Then you start thinking, okay, the Boundary Waters is a big place and there's probably a lot of bears in there, so how am I going to find one? Mm-hmm. And what you're looking for is, where do the bears live? Right. Okay, in the Boundary Waters. Where specifically <laughs> do the bears live in the Boundary Waters? Or where do I have the best chance of encountering that animal in that area? And in that case, um, you can either your best chance for encountering an animal is where they eat or where they breed. Is that correct? That's that's a good way of putting it, yeah. In general, right? right. That's a good place to start. Now, understanding a little bit about, like, um, 
their territorial areas and what right. have you. You know, it's and you'll have to build in some understanding of the behavior yeah. of that particular animal. Right. Like an elk wallow is something that's like uh-huh. something they do, right? Right. But bears spend a lot of time wandering and eating and foraging. Right. So before and this is not necessarily gonna be high breeding season for bears for us when we're gonna be there. More if I remember right, and I've been on spring bear hunts, you know, you look a lot of times they like to breed like June, July. Okay. So after they have a chance to come out of hibernation and fatten up a little bit, right? Okay. I, I think that don't quote me on that just yet, sure. but it's like I know in Idaho, I think that's what it was. Is like I was hunting a specific mountainside and I ended up shooting a sow yeah. that was there, the a dry sow. I she didn't have any cubs with her, and like the reason why the three boars were on that mm-hmm. mountainside is because she was there, right. and you know, and because they were younger boars and they were willing to share that because there was enough food and what right. have you, you know. So my brother ended up taking a, a, just a gorgeous cinnamon bear. That that was one of my very first like hunt coach coaching yeah. things I had done. Was taking my younger brother there, mm-hmm. and that that moment really sticks out in my head. Like I was excited as he was. That's awesome. Because you know, because like we saw this bear coming down this you know this mountainside, and I'm just yeah. like we spotted it at the same time. My brother, you know, instantly kind of gets the shakes, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, it, yeah, oh yeah. And I'm just like, calm down. He's like, he's should I shoot now? Shoot now? I'm like, no. He's working his way our way. He has mm-hmm. no. You know, I'm like, I'm taking video of this actually as it's happening. The video yeah. turned out like crap because I was I didn't realize I was shaking too. I should have had a tripod, you know. But and you're the one being calm. You're yeah. Calm and I'm the calm one in the situation. Yeah. And I'm just like, no man, don't don't. Shoot shoot now don't you know just wait he's coming he's coming he's closing the distance just wait and um, mm-hmm. he eventually gets to a spot he's in a wide open area i'm like all right take a deep breath sending your crosshairs you know i'm walking through this whole thing and, and when you're controlling your yeah shot, and, and like you have a steady rest and when you're ready gently squeeze the trigger and then it was basically bang flop man you know it's awesome Bang, flop, you know, gone. you know, and you know, from the time he pulled the trigger to the time that bear died, 10 seconds. Yeah. Which is coming close to about as good as you can yeah. hope for. And like I, five and to I, 10 is pretty good. And I want you all to know that you folks that think that you need a giant caliber to what you shoot do two forty three. Nice. <laughs> I don't want to get into this conversation specifically, but I was talking to a friend who swears by his two forty three for hunting deer because he was getting into ballistics coefficients and yeah. flight path and uh, muzzle velocity versus downrange velocity, and mm. apparently that one has some fairly underrated numbers that people. It does, and it yeah. and then I will say this: anytime, anytime anybody brings it up, bullet placement is worth pick a number more than how big a caliber you're shooting. It's stopping power. Right. Yeah. You know, it's you put the a good bullet in the right place of virtually any center fire caliber is you're you're going to kill that animal. Right. So and with few exceptions. I'm not telling you to go after an elk with a two twenty three. Yeah. You know, you know, which is a very small, small center fire caliber, but yeah. um I would take somebody putting the right bullet in the right place with that caliber than somebody shooting in the guts with a three thirty eight. Yeah. So and yeah. and that's just the way of it. And I I will defend that to the day I die. For sure. For so, sure. So that's an awesome story, man. <laughs> I'm I'm actually I will tell the story another time, but I buck fevered the shit out of that little spike buck on our website. That was my first. Dude, I've had intense moments. Uh, we call it buck fever, but I've had just as intense moments knowing I was going to kill a doe. Oh, yeah. With, usually with my bow, you know, that, you know, I was... I, 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 I'm the one of the lucky ones when I get buck fever, as we call yeah. it. Like, I usually don't start the shakes until after the shot. Right. You know? But then, like, I need to, like, clamp onto my tree stand so I don't fall out. Take some breaths. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, calm myself down before I can, like, safely climb out of my tree. Right, right. So, uh, you know, it, and it's just... there's. It's an intense thing taking a life of another critter, you know. So I don't want to downplay that at all. If you get buck fever, that means you're doing it right. Well, the best way to temper that, too, because it can get in the way if you're not careful. The best way to temper that, again, is to practice and do it the same way every time. Learn that squeeze on the trigger. Learn that... Mm. You, you know, ritualize it every time so you can right. walk yourself in your brain through a recognized pattern and keep yourself calm. Right. 
Um, but okay, so, so, so where were we? <laughs> so, uh, so we were talking about habitat. We were mm-hmm. talking about all right. We have our animal. We have our area. It fits. It's something we're interested in. We know the. We know the uh, 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 area at least a little bit. We've done a little bit mm-hmm. of research. Um, and then, so where do you find the animals? Right. Breeding or eating. Right. Because, like, that's why you hunt elk and deer during the rut, because they're so crazy with hormones to breed that they are <laughs> stupid enough to expose right. themselves to hunters. There's some people that feel that's cheating. You yeah. Know? I, I feel it's it's knowing biology, I guess. Right, right. So. And that's when the season is. And again, right. if that's what the wildlife management agencies say, then that's what I'll do. Right. Um, and so, okay, so, but we're looking for a place to find the animals, which is overarching habitat. Yes. But Habitat, habitat, habitat. I'll scream it from the mountains. Habitat, <laughs> habitat forever. Right. <laughs> um, but, so, so, you find... You identify your animal, your area, you find your habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then start to kind of try and pinpoint some places. And there mm-hmm. are all sorts of resources. Um, Google Earth is amazing. Yep. Um, there are all different types of uh, mapping applications or like programs or uh, maps you can buy that come on your smartphone or your computer that will tell you what's public land and private land, it'll give you topography, it'll give you satellite view, all that stuff. We live in a beautiful time with access to that sort of stuff, so they're out there. Um, And so then you can start trying to find some habitat. Now in this particular case, knowing something about bears and doing the research on the animal, you know in the area what they eat and where to find that thing. Mm -hmm. After you find that habitat and know your information on that, you start to refine it a little bit. Right. you start to look for the conditions that create that habitat. You start mm-hmm. to look for, and then that's when you reach out to your experts, talk to the biologists, talk to some people who have done it before. There are all sorts of online forums for people that are happy to share their knowledge. Generally speaking, I they'll sell general knowledge. They're not obviously they're not going to sell you their spot. But. Right. But <laughs> if you say like, hey, if you put it out there, like to the biologist or to somebody that. Mm-hmm. you know or if you're part of a forum or you're building that network that we've talked about in the past if you say hey I want to do this at this place I'm thinking about this sort of thing I like this people will like when you were another one we talked about this Alaska hunt mm-hmm. you got some good information from a guy about doing that I just happen to have some buddies that yeah. moved to Alaska well, <laughs> so you get your network and right. you start building that but that's part of refi- and how you go about that is going to be part of the doing it yourself thing that we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, so it, then you start to refine that plan. Mm-hmm. And then once you start to refine that plan, that's kind of the stage we're at right now. Um, it's only going to get so refined because you got to get out there and see what it's like. Right. Like I, I once it, yeah, once you get, you're going to get to a point where nobody can hold your hand anymore. Right. You need to go out there and, and beat the bush. And you, you can't know? plan it any further other than I think these areas right. look like what I have come to find out from doing my research and talking mm-hmm. to the people are going to be beneficial in what we're looking for. And I think we'll have success for X, Y, Z reason. Right. And then you just go out there and do it. Right, but I mean, you're going to reach a point where you're going to have to improvise, adapt, overcome, because, right. like like you said, I mean, you can have that perfect plan, but, I mean, right. things can change. Like, I've had... You know, on the battlefield, plan breaks down, right? Yeah. <laughs> when the bullets start flying. Yeah, the moment you get punched, yeah. Yeah, you know, so. the fight plan goes to the hell of the handbasket. So, the I mean, I've had plenty enough hunts where, you know, I'm out there doing something, and all of a sudden... Uh, Coyote <laughs> yeah. changes it completely. <laughs> He's well, like, "Oh, by the way, no, I'm gonna scare these all these animals away, and you need to find somewhere else to go." It's like, <sighs> well, okay, that's part yeah, of the fun that's part, part of, of it. No, it is. It, 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 I would be lying if I said there wasn't a frustration part to it, but right. I would, I like I said, I prefer that to happen than to have it be easy. And so. that's part of why the payoff is so great, right? Is because the improvise, adapt, overcome, and that's where you learn all the things that we've said you learn and all the benefits you get. Plus, you fill the freezer. Plus, you have an adventure. Right. Um, what could be better? Right. So. So that's kind of how you know if you want to plan what we'll call just an adventure hunt. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, we, it, we realize that that's probably something a lot of people want to eventually get to. 
Right, because right? that's the fun thing. Right, you know, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's the real, real fun vacation type deal, you know. Yeah. But it's, it obviously, you know, that's 10, 25% of my hunting every year. Right, you a know? lot of it is. So I mean, most of my hunting is going to be done locally. Putting so. in days of field. Right. In your local area. So, and that's kind of where we're at right now with mm-hmm. my hunt prep and planning for right. in-state stuff you know well and that's where we're at right now for our hunt prep and planning for right. this one that we're probably not that we're probably going to do at the earliest mm-hmm. not this season coming up but next right so that's sort of a long right now is july 2018 we're looking mm-hmm. at roughly oh, probably a little bit earlier in the year 19 it, it is for this yeah so so it's like, probably about a year away, and this is, you've already talked to a bear biologist, you've mm-hmm. already thought about mm-hmm. your three different methods that you want to do for getting mm-hmm. us at least close to a bear to make a shot. You've already gotten your plan on how you want to, where you think we're going to go, mm-hmm. how you think we're going to position ourselves, particularly in that area for habitat success, how we're going to get the attention of the animals mm-hmm. that we need. Um, We've already both obviously started thinking about the logistics of the packing and camping aspect of it. Right. And that's a year out. Right. Um, so, so just to give an idea of the lead time that a right. lot of these things need and should have mm-hmm. um, to put it together and the thought process involved and when to right. start thinking about it. No, I, I should mention, like you said, it's mid-July now and I got going, just going in as a packer and caller here for uh, this fall for elk. And I'll... And, in you're better at this than I am, but like taking yeah. care of yourself year round. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like yeah. right now, you know, I I sh- I'm really working working up my training. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do a lot more. You know, my usual training for elk hunting, since there's no mountains in North Dakota, is climbing a lot of stairs. Yeah. You know, but what you know I do right now is like, do I start really paying more attention to my diet? Like yeah. every cookie, every brownie I look at, it's like I have to carry that with me. Yep. When when I go. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you you got to pay attention. It was one of those things I really and I'm no dietitian or whatever. And then if you looked at me, you'd be like, you are in no place to talk to me <laughs> about. <laughs> you know. But my plan has always been to stay in is good enough shape and to keep doing the things I want to do that right. I enjoy. And after that, you know, it's like. You know, I like things with butter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Butter's <laughs> so, not necessarily bad. Yeah. So but the fitness aspect is a good thing, especially right. if we're talking about adventure hunts like this. Right. Going to the Arctic, north of the Arctic Circle, is another thing we you've been kicking around. We've been talking yeah. about, and we'll touch on it another time. But uh, or even getting at altitude and strapping an additional mm-hmm. what eighty pounds on your back for yeah. a quarter, hundred pounds, whatever. Uh, my if I'm packing an entire camp in. I'm trying to keep everything probably under 40 or 50. Yeah, but if you're packing meat too? If you Well, okay. So always bring your pack with when you're hunting, you know, mm-hmm. but you set up your camp, you empty your pack, you take your pack with hunting, yeah. and you pack that back out, you yeah. know. So, yeah, you're going to – you you get an elk down on the ground, yeah, you're packing 80 to 100 pounds. And you're making several trips and all that. That's right. fine. But doing that, heading up and humping up and down the mountains at altitude, mm-hmm. the fitness aspect is not – to be understated. Yeah. Oh God, no! <laughs> or, or throwing a quartered-out bear into a canoe and paddling yeah. that out right. is not to be understated as well. So, right. And uh, that's and circling back to guides. That's one reason why guy. Some guys will always hire guides. It's like you know what? I can pay. I can pay that guy to bring it out for me with a horse rather than me pack it out. Sure. For sure. <laughs> you know? So yeah, another thing to prepare yourself on and think about is, I mean, there are a whole companies and industries around fitness specifically for hunting right yeah i mean i don't want to sell this as like this is some super hard you know impossible thing unless you're a navy seal because i'm certainly am not right but your hunt will be so much more enjoyable if you go on one of these adventure things if you're in shape yeah you know or or have prepared if you and if you're and the like how's a good way to put this like the least physically tough you are the more mentally tough you need to be yeah 
you know? So yeah. if you're physically tough, it's easier to be mentally tough, you know? Right. So, you know, pay attention to that. When well, that's life in general, too. The more physically oh, yeah. capable you are, the more capable you're going to be of doing other things. Yeah, you know, and it just it makes it that much easier when you need to, you know, give that last bit of effort to close mm-hmm. the distance to get to that bull or that, you know, or buck or deer or elk or you know whatever you know shave time off your pack house too yeah you know or at least make it bearable you know (laughs) full-on misery (laughs) right you know eventually you hope to get to a point where you get to embrace the suck yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah for sure heard people go the mountain goes or the animal goes down and you're like ah this is the part I hate <laughs> <laughs> pack it out <laughs> but how far is the truck shit you're still out there you're still doing it right you're still um, as far as up it's still better than riding a desk right oh any day of the week man for sure so alright well that's I think what we've got for our plan so far figure your area your animal Yep. Look into habitat, look into a little bit of that animal behavior, right. plot out your conditions you're looking for, mm-hmm. refine that down a little bit, talk to your experts, right. make a plan from there. And you yeah. can only refine so much. So And if you're gonna, you know, you know, reach out to these people on the, the internet, you know, it, it really pays to put forth something first than to ask for something first. Right. You know, uh, there there are a lot pe- you know the a lot of people are a lot more willing to help people that help themselves. Yeah, I want you to know? talk about foraging specifically in another episode, but I got a lot of experience with online forums and that. And we'll talk right. about that for sure. You know, so, I mean, it's okay to be a noob, you know, but be friendly and, and expect to take some heat right away, you know, for, for sure. people giving you a hard time, you know, but that's only 10, 15% of people, <laughs> you know, right. the, rest of, the rest of them are there to at least be friendly. And so. that's the internet, really? Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, people are a lot more willing to help people that are willing to help themselves. You're right. So show that you've done that a little bit and people will be a lot more willing to help you out. Right. So, uh, I suppose that's the last point I had. Yeah, I think that concludes this episode. For All right. I think next episode we'll get into more like prep and planning for like your local stuff you know so but if it's you know this was really i think a good teaser for people that you know get really excited for doing something outside your comfort zone you know sure for sure the more well i'm sure from this point out we'll refer to this type of hunt as an adventure hunt yep um and i'm psyched about it for sure and we will definitely as we go through this process do probably several more instances of discussing the finer points as we get closer to it for this hunt specifically. So, uh, again, thanks to Craig Minwa and the Cloud Cult for letting us use their song Running With The Wolves as the intro and outro to our program. Mm -hmm. Uh, As always, if you're interested, educate yourself, get involved. At the local level, there are all sorts of nonprofit and uh, uh, associations that are area specific or game specific wild turkey federation quality deer management associations uh ducks unlimited mm-hmm. pheasants forever uh backcountry hunters and anglers sportsman's sportsman's alliance yeah rocky mountain goat found or er, elk foundation uh, rocky mountain elk foundation i'm sure there's rocky mountain specific go- ones wild too. sheep foundation there's the pronghorn alliance i mean you name a critter that people are passionate about there's a group to that is advocating for them. Exactly. Get you involved know. with those. Get involved. Uh, if you find yourself a mentor, and if you don't, go to your state wildlife management agency or any of those places. They all have new hunter programs. Mm-hmm. Get, put yourself out there. If you are interested in hunting and fishing, the same spirit that got you interested in that will be the same spirit that gets you to put your name on a list and get out there with those folks. Start building mm-hmm. that network. With any luck, you'll have me as a teacher soon. So. <laughs> yeah, good, good. So, so uh, and as always, sharpen your teeth and dig deep. Cubicles and little flaming pies